Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees in Wales and one of the hosts for Dragon Bites. This week we've got another one of our career podcasts for you. One of our newest hosts, Hannah Davis, is going to be exploring the application process for Palliative Care Grid and how to interview for it. She's going to be discussing this with palliative care consultant at the Evelina Hospital in London, Lizzie Bendel, and with current palliative care grid trainee in Wales, Timothy Warlow. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites. This week we will continue our series about paediatric grid training. In this episode we will focus on paediatric palliative care grid. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Lizzie Bendel, paediatric palliative care consultant at Evelina Hostel London, and Dr Tim Warlow, a paediatric palliative care grid trainee in Cardiff, who has just CCT'd and has managed to secure a consultant job in Wessex. Massive congrats Tim. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome guys and thank you very much for joining. Thanks Hannah. Thanks for asking us. Thank you. Fab. So let's just crack on. And could both of you maybe start with uh, Lizzie and just say uh, how your medical career has gone to date and where you started, etc. Yeah, um, I will do. Thanks so much for asking us to do this um, podcast, Hannah. It's really good to be part of it. Especially good for me to be back in touch with some of my Welsh colleagues. Um, so I, I went to Cardiff Medical School um, way back when and then did my foundation training in Wales. Um, I done, did all of my training in Wales, actually. And um, so did paediatric training. And then as part of a, a registrar um, training post, just a general peds post, I did a palliative care six-month post in Cardiff because they had a vacant grid post. And I really enjoyed it. And it made me fall in love with palliative care. So then I applied for the grid. And at the time... The only full-time um, palliative medicine training post was in Cardiff, so I stayed in Wales <laughs> and completed my training there, which was really lovely to be amongst the fabulous colleagues that I'd already met and learning and honing my skills. Um, I CCT'd three years ago now and um, moved up to London to work at the Evelina um, London Children's Hospital, covering a locum post initially, and now um, I have a substantive post there. So I'm a paediatric palliative medicine consultant up at the Evelina in London. Fantastic. And Tim, do you want to tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, so um, so I, I'm Tim Warlow. So I um, trained in Birmingham University, uh, which was a fantastic city uh, place to be. I did a BSc in public health and then did medicine there. Uh, and then I was a seven trainee for my paediatric training. So foundation and paediatric um, rotated through seven deanery. Uh, and then moved to Wales, um, having never done palliative care before, to do the palliative care grid post, uh, which I've just finishing uh, today. And then I'm, um, I'm moving next week to, to Wessex to take up a consultant post there in paediatric palliative medicine. Oh, congratulations, Tim. It's definitely well deserved. And with the both of you, what was it that attracted you to paediatrics in the very beginning? Um... So for me, I think I I always enjoyed um, the aspect. I knew I wanted to do medicine and, and not surgery. I really like getting to know people and having more of a holistic care around them. 
I actually wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to be a GP or a paediatrician um, initially through medical school. But I really enjoyed my paediatric training and just it, it, my love for it grew as I went through training. Um, and I think it's just being able to have the chance to work in such a variety of different specialties and different age groups. So working from all the way from a neonate right up to huge 18-year-old boys, <laughs> like adults, um, it just gives you such a good... Um, variety of work and you get to see how a child develops all the way through life and also looking at them as a child within a family and all the different illnesses they can have and I think it's been mentioned before in previous podcasts that paediatrics adds an extra challenge when they're little and that they can't tell you what's wrong and it's a real sort of scientific and clinical um, specialty that you have to use your clinical acumen and try and diagnose and treat um, uh, accurately and then it's a joy because children get better much quicker once you get things, the diagnosis and treatment right. And then for palliative care, I think the am I allowed to talk about that now, Hannah? Yeah, of course you can, yeah. We'll together. <laughs> so about palliative care, it, it was just, you have that extra dimension of being able to support families. And there's a lot more you can do than just try and cure their immediate illness. You actually get to know the families, children and young people and their families much more. Mm-hmm. Um, with their longer term complex conditions and find out what's important to them and really improve things for them um, and work alongside the other teams looking after them and it's a really privileged job because you, you will come on to it I'm sure as we talk more about palliative care but you get to be with them in, in a really special time in their life and support them in a unique way. Yeah I totally agree and Tim what about you Your, what drew you to paediatrics and palliative care? Yeah so I think um Similar to to Lizzie in one sense, I really enjoyed working with um, children and families and the complexity of that that parent-child interaction um, and the challenge of diagnosing and treating children when they can't tell you what's going on. I felt that it was really clinical medicine at its best. Um, so that what really was, was part of what drew me to peds. And then I think during my early paediatric training, I really enjoyed working with children with neurodisability. Um, because they they often have very complex symptom clusters. They're, the um, the families are going through just such a, a tough time, uh, day after day, year after year, um, and the services around them are just uh, not really designed to meet their needs often, um, and and they're faced with difficult decisions, um, and and I think it just really struck me that this this group of patients has a real need um, for for that. Kind of extra symptom control and support as Lizzie said in the in the kind of longer term journeying with with the children and families um, and I suppose the other aspect is as I was going through my tertiary rotations in Bristol really seeing the need for support for teams in making difficult decisions about prognosis um, and also managing difficult symptoms, particularly, you know, neonatology and cardiology and oncology. You know, there's often a lot, you know, real complex symptoms that are a mixture of kind of psychosocial and spiritual and physical and, um, you know, really saw the need for, for that expertise um, there. And I, and, and I think that links on to, again, what Liz said, you know, the, it's, it's such a great challenge because there's so much pharmacology, um, you're applying a lot of evidence from adult medicine. Um, you know, you're, you're, it's very bespoke and creative in, in terms of the medicine, but you've also got the clinical challenge, you know, the communication challenges with the family. Um, and 
yeah yeah and you've got the flexibility but like in, in you know in some ways if in your day to if you want to spend a bit longer with this family to really get to the bottom of, of what's going on then you can um you know you're not pressured by uh having to get the wardrobe done by a certain time those sorts of things you, you you've you've got a bit more autonomy um so all of those really i just thought this is really what i want to do yeah guys you're really selling it <laughs> so <laughs> now you have a good experience of what the palliative grid is why um would you recommend it to um future possible palliative care doctors so i think um the so we, tim's already alluded to it but for the attraction for us for palliative care, care hopefully has come across in what we've already said and, and how you can really work with a child and look at not just the physical but also the emotional social and spiritual aspects of that child and that family and how to support them um, and I think the the grid training is also an attractive training to be involved in um, it we're a very small specialty there aren't many consultants throughout the country um, and there aren't that there are only three um, grid training posts across the country currently um, so even though some that means that we're restricted as to how many people can train in it it's actually we're a very small world and we all know each other and there's good working between the different teams across the country and the opportunity to have good training and expertise um, and experience by um, going to do shadow visits to other centres and then whilst we're in uh, talking specifically about the Welsh training so Tim and I both um, thoroughly enjoyed our grid training in the Welsh deanery um, we were based in Cardiff but across the All Wales um, Children's Palliative Care Network so we had the opportunity to go out to um, West Wales it might be better for Tim to talk about it because mine was a few years ago in case things have changed but you get to go all over Wales um, to support children and families and meet the professionals there um, and you can it's based in hospital it's based in the community, going to, on home visits, um, going to the hospice. It's a really varied and, and nice um, specialty to go into um, from the hecticness of being a, a paediatric registrar, being in the hospital, what feels like forever, doing night shifts and weekends. And whilst you still have some on-call commitments, you actually in the daytime, you can, when you're doing your palliative care, you are in charge of your time a lot more and you can have that time to get to know the families. and. Um, palliative care teams across the country try to not add to the burden of families by bringing them back to hospital appointments all the time like we do go to, on home visits and you get a real unique insight into that um, the family and the child and what's important to them and what's practical that you can do to help improve things and I think Cardiff has the good well, the Welsh deanery has the good mix of um, the non-malignant diagnoses of life-limiting life-threatening conditions which is the bulk of children's palliative care so work as Tim's already mentioned working with children with neuromuscular problems neurodisability um, inherited metabolic disorders uh, cardiac failure kidney problems all sorts you, you intermix with all the different specialties um, and also oncology um, which is what people generally think about palliative care first um, and whilst there is a significant workload with the oncology cohort um, it's important to acknowledge that for paediatrics the non-malignant specialty is also very um, important and actually the larger part of our caseload um, and then for the grid training we have the national teaching sessions that are set up um, through the, uh, the CSAC so the trainees um, set up national training um, which is often in London but um, tries to be around the country and can be joined virtually now especially um, and as I say you can go and visit any other team and work with them 
and spend some time with them and any hospice that is open to visitors. So it's, it's a very open and cohesive um, workforce across the country, keen to try and encourage new people to join. So Tim, do you want to just tell us a bit why, a tra- uh, from your opinion, why a trainee should choose palliative care? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's definitely something to be said for that autonomy in in your working day and your working week. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of you've got control over your your schedule um, and you're in such a variety of places meeting so many professionals. I think for me also, um, you know, quite a few people were surprised when I did palliative care because um, I really enjoyed um, emergency medicine. I really enjoyed the kind of more, you know, typically adrenaline <laughs> few you know filled specialties but actually my experience in palliative care is that um, you'll have days where you know within hours notice you have to meet a family counsel them about the end of life transfer them to the hospice and oversee extubation um, including all the symptom management um, you may have episodes of acute severe pain you know where which you're having to manage really like like an APLS scenario including all the human factors and and people around and supporting staff and, and those aspects and then you've got patients who you get to know um, over years you know I still see patients who I who, who I saw on my first day doing grid um, and that again is just a great pleasure you know doing that journey with the families so a huge clinical variety um, I think as well um, yeah so I think that's what I would add to what to what Lizzie said really yeah, and after working with you both, I can't imagine the both of you in any other specialty. I think you're so perfectly matched palliative care, honestly. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. And you're welcome to join us anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I used to just sit in awe of your communication skills because I think that's a really key thing that I've picked up from the both of you, your ability to put the parents and the patients at ease almost immediately in your Oh, just the way you speak to people is just beautiful. So I'm glad you chose this specialty. I'm mean, glad that our patients have you. So just thought I'd add that in. Thanks, oh. Hannah. I think it's important to say that you don't have to have excellent communication skills to join palliative medicine grid. You are taught how to do that and you get the chance to learn that as you go along. So don't be put off if you feel, oh, gosh, I couldn't handle being in charge of those difficult conversations because that's nurtured throughout your training. And talking about difficulties, obviously, um, people associate palliative care always with end of life rather than maybe symptom management through chronic conditions. But I was just wondering, with such an emotional um, caseload, how do you guys deal with that? And we'll start with Lizzie. Um, So I think uh, it's important to just expand on that a little bit. So, yes, it's true that we do part of palliative care is end of life care and it can be emotionally challenging. Um, but the the bulk of our work is actually um, symptom management and advanced care planning for families with longer term, more complex conditions and supporting the families through those decisions and the trajectory of their child's um, illness. And actually, one thing that I found quite refreshing about when I started in palliative care was that um, sadly, children do have conditions that can't be cured sometimes and sadly some children do die in childhood and actually most of our career within paediatrics you're doing your very very best not to let Mm -hmm. children die and to keep them alive and to keep them healthy and sometimes um sadly they they will pass away and actually it you feel like you you've let everybody down if a child that you've looked after hasn't survived Mm -hmm. 
Whereas when you move into palliative care, actually, it acknowledges that sadly, some children are going to die. And instead of fighting that death and trying your very best to avoid it, you acknowledge that it's going to happen. And you try and help the child or young person and their family to actually find some element of hope and comfort for their remaining time that they have before their death and to try and make things as good as possible for as long as possible and actually it's really the focus shifts from instead of focusing on their deaths and trying to avoid that you actually focus on their life and what they can achieve and what they can still do and what's important to them and being able to help a child have their symptoms under control so they can go to a theme park or have that weekend away or something is huge and it's actually quite a fun and celebratory specialty in that way because you get to know families and help them to facilitate some happy times together and some fun and see what's important to them outside of their illness so whilst it is sad there is actually quite a bit of happiness and, and laughter in palliative care um, but I think it's important to acknowledge that yes we do have to deal with quite sad and emotional things as well but as Tim's already mentioned, you work alongside other teams and other professionals, and it's a really well-supported um, specialty to be in. You're, you're not on your own. Um, you're in a team with specialist nurses, physios, community teams, other allied health professionals, and you all work together. And you're not expected to be on your own dealing with really emotional situations. And if that does happen, or um, or if being within a team it's still upsetting for you then we have the chance to do debriefs and to have discussions with the teams it's it's acknowledged within people that by people that work within palliative care that it is emotionally challenging and so there is an important focus on supporting each other um through the different challenges and being open and being able to say that was must have been really hard for you let's should we have a sit down catch up and talk about this and as, and we try to offer that as medical professionals for the allied healthcare professionals around us and the teams at the hospices and offer debriefs and the chance for people to reflect on it and and just be feel free to talk about what went well, what was challenging and, and what learning points we might have. But also just the space to be able to say that was horrible. I found that really hard and to be able to talk about it. Yeah, fantastic. And Tim, what about you? How do you feel that you deal with the, the emotional side of things? I think I think one of the things for me was it makes you be it makes you really intentional about how you look after yourself and um, where you get your energy um, and your uh, momentum from. You know what you know you you know you, one needs to really nurture we need to really nurture ourselves in order to provide the care that we provide. And you know um, I always think of it a bit like a like a, a tank of fuel you know if you get to the bottom of it you, you're not going to be able to run the engine and, and and actually you know we need to be constantly re refilling so it makes you intentional about what you know what I need to to to, to do this in you know, long term in terms of my career and and I think also it um you learn an awful lot from the families um uh, about um from how they approach caring for themselves and and their views on their own you know on 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 the bigger issues in life and for me I find that quite therapeutic and um you know I, I think it's helped me to learn an awful lot about myself and um yeah so that so that really you can be resilient to do this and support these families in, in, in the longer term 
Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And Tim, uh, with you, just CCT, and you're probably the best to ask. Um, so could you just give our listeners a bit of an insight to what the training programme involved and how long it took? Absolutely. So um, the grid training programme is, um, is is two, it's, it's officially three years, uh, but you do two years of um, specialist children's palliative care. Uh, at one of the three main centres, so that's in London, in Great Ormond Street, in uh, Wales, and in Yorkshire and, and Humber. Um, so in, in that in that in that two years, um, you spend eighteen months doing paediatric palliative care, and six months or, or equivalent to in, in in adult palliative medicine. So that's that's a and, the, and that that was for me was quite um quite an eye opener spending. Uh, a period of time in an adult hospice, um, going back into adult medicine um, and caring after you know elderly who who were dying from from cancer. Um, I mean, fantastic experience um, d- d- doing doing that. And, and then in addition, you've got an extra year. So once you've done those two years, you've got a third year, which you can choose how you how what you do for that year really. So it's you know, it depends on what previous training you've had. You may want to do some oncology, some neurology, intensive care. Those are the typical things, but there are many other other opportunities. So, you in that in that last year, really, you, you piece together your own from your own learning needs what what you need to fulfil, um, you know, your competencies and and uh, and fill the gaps gaps in your training. Brilliant, that's fantastic. And guys, are there any specific learning requirements that you have to achieve by the end of your training? So just the, you have to do the start assessment, um, which all trainees have to do. Um, there is a diploma in paediatric palliative medicine, which isn't um, required, but it's recommended. That's run through Cardiff University. So most trainees do complete that. Um, but uh, otherwise it's your just com- completing your curriculum competencies um, as you go along. Fantastic. And um, when you were both applying, um, is there any general advice you'd give to our potential listeners who are interested in palliative care? Yeah, so I think um, so. I think I think there's one of the thing, things people often struggle with is the fact that they um, there aren't rotations um, in SHO training for palliative care, and makes you think, well, you know, how can I know that I'm going to like it? How how do I know that that I'm going to get on in the specialty? It's obviously a big commitment, isn't it? Applying for the grid um, especially when it may involve moving locations and things but I think one of the things that that I found was that um, palliative care is happening in all the time in in, in all the hospitals and, and settings that we work um, whether it be on neonatal units or looking after children with with cancer or or, or neurodisability on, on general pediatric wards um, so I think the main thing would be making the most of the opportunities around you to, to get involved with those patients um, you know take the opportunity to to be caring for them to follow them through their that, that clinical journey and and in addition to that I think um, there are other opportunities to get to get a taste of the specialty uh, as Lizzie mentioned about the national training days they're really great resource because you know you learn some palliative care you get to meet the, the consultants and the other trainees and get a feel of of what the specialty is like. Um, every year, the Association of Pediatric Palliative Medicine runs a train, a study day, which is like a like a national conference, where again you get you know that sort of networking and can and can ask all those questions about the training and 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 there's often um, 
separate sem seminars for those interested in in the grid training. So how do how would we get in contact with people to get access to those days and study days? That's a really really good question. Um, so uh, the if you go onto the um, grid uh, website of the RCPCH, uh, there's contact details for the CSAC, uh, including the trainee rep. So that would be the person to to contact, and I, I believe there's a there should be an email atta attached to that. So that would be the first port of call. And I think the other thing is get in touch with your local hospice. Um, the hospices are very happy for professionals to come and um, do a visit and see see what, what it is that they do. Lots of We have lots of different visitors at the hospices. Um, so that's another real side, you know, that, that you can, that you can uh, access. And, of course, you know, use your taster days um, and get in touch with your local tertiary palliative care team. Now, most areas of the country have got a um, tertiary paediatric palliative care team uh, and you know what I did was um, I rang up the hospital in Cardiff and asked them to put me through to the registrar and I spoke to Lizzie before I <laughs> before, and, and asked her a bit about it and, and asked her what the grid training was like here and that was a fantastic conversation I remember that already you may not remember Lizzie Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie you must have sold it so well <laughs> I know. You must have caught me on a good day, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I think you have to be you have to be proactive, and you have to um, you know be willing to sort of get out there and, and get the experience. But I think it's there to be had. And I think everyone. But sorry, Hannah, I interrupted you. But I think because it's such a small specialty, everyone is aware that people don't get the exposure to it necessarily. Mm. And so mm. any team would be happy for you to contact. And all the hospitals take visitors from other places. So when I was in in Wales training we had visitors from Canada from different sites mm -hmm. across the country like people can come and do observerships or a taster session um, and that's really welcome so you can just phone up or email the whichever hospital you want to try and um, get in touch with or ask um, contact the current trainees or past trainees we're all very happy to be emailed or called and asked and just one thing about the, the APPM so the Association of Paediatric Palliative Medicine and their study days, if you're interested in that, all the links are on the website um, and mm. you can uh, contact the team through the, through the committee through there. There's a, I'm actually on the committee, so um, oh, the, um, <laughs> there's a trainee representative group on the committee as well who would be happy to answer all your questions as well. Um, and then information, any the, the chair, the secretary, any of us would be happy to be contacted to um, to put you in touch with people locally um, and to find out more and also the team in, in Wales so Richard and Megumi and Joe would all be happy to be contacted I'm sure. Oh, that's brilliant thanks so, and for those who may have left it a little bit late before getting their CV etc ready is experience necessary do you reckon to secure an interview? No it isn't um, I think enthusiasm is the main thing that's necessary and an awareness that you've done your best to try and find out a bit about it um, the the CSAC committee know that people haven't necessarily had the chance of doing it before. Most of us hadn't. I was lucky I had six months of doing it, well, actually only two or three months before the interview, um, because there was a grid vacancy and I was doing it as a PEDS rotation. But most people haven't had the chance to actually work in paediatric palliative medicine. But I think, as Tim said, if you've, if you've found out, uh, contacted your local team, tried to visit the hospice or done some... Um, uh, study days or um, contacted trainees to find out then that's the main thing and also look at what skills you have that are transferable so 
a lot of what we do um, is mirrored by the MDT approach for a child with complex uh, medical problems. So if uh, you look at neonates, as Tim said, all the way through to children with neurodisability um, and then specific cancer diagnoses, they all have the same model within palliative care of addressing the physical, the emotional, the social and the spiritual care. And good paediatricians do that on a day-to-day -day basis, but don't have the time to actually spend that much time doing those extra holistic bits if on a busy ward round. Whereas if you can maybe just think about that during your care, during your training, and think, how can I demonstrate that I'm thinking more holistically about my patient group? And is there an audit I can do that looks at um, support children have in the community when they're home or um, discharge communication or allied healthcare professional support like all of that um, shows that you're thinking about those other aspects of the child's care and um, in regards to once you've ticked all the boxes and done all your forms how do you reckon you could maximize your chance of getting an interview I'll let Tim answer yeah 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 of course yeah so I think um, I think I think as as as, as Lizzie said you know it's about um, it, it's about making sure that you, you're demonstrating that you've that you've that you've uh, sought to find out about the specialty and, and contact the right people. Um, you know, I've been just looking over my grid application uh, just today, and it's it's quite it's quite generic. Um, and actually, a lot of those skills, you know, leadership, management, quality improvement, teaching, training, are all things that you have to do right from ST1. And um, and so I think it's about honing what it is that that you're do, having to do anyway for training um, to, to pull out those those themes. Um, and I think the danger with palliative care, as well as some of the other smaller specialties, is that people can feel, well, I haven't got a palliative care team locally, therefore I can't do any palliative care. And I think that's that's really not true. I think have a look at the service that you're working in. Uh, so one of the things I did, I was quite late thinking about palliative care, really. Um, and in ST5, I think ST4 to 5, you know, I was working on Bath's neonatal unit and myself and one of the band six nurses were really interested in palliative care. And so we, you know, set up, you know, a quality improvement project around that. We did some education sessions for the nurses. We got together some resources um, we, and then we we ended up publishing that and presenting it at the, at the RCPCH conference. So if you think, you know, this is a, that was a level two NICU, um, you know, in, in, a, in a DGH and you can pull together all of your different strands there. You know, you, there's some leadership there, education, governance, research, you know, all around one project that really demonstrates that you that you want to make a difference in this. So it doesn't have to be um, tertiary or, or, or highly specialised. It's um, seeing the need where you are and acting on it you know, in a way that you can reflect in your portfolio and your achievements, really. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And guys, can you remember that interview day and how do you think it went, Lizzie? Um, yes, I can remember the interview day well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was obviously daunting um, because you're it's something you really want to do and none of us, when you're in training, you actually don't have any interviews, um, that many interviews throughout your training once you've got your place on a specialist training program so we're not particularly well practiced um but I had had some practice and help with colleagues um around me and previous trainees so the interview was up at the Royal College um we had to prepare a presentation um 
and it was a generic presentation about what is paediatric palliative care, if I remember correctly. So as long as you've read up a little bit about it, um, you can do a presentation about that. I think it was what is palliative paediatric palliative care and how how can I demonstrate um, my skills within it or something like that. Um, so it was um, not too onerous to do on the day. Um, and then uh, there were uh, a panel of consultants from across the country um, and RCPCH representatives. Um, and they asked, I just remember them, I can't remember the specific questions um, now, I'm sorry. Um, I can remember my consultant interview yeah. questions if anyone wants to know about that. Um, but they were very friendly and they weren't asking you to uh, be a specialist in opioid pharmacology or ethical dilemmas. Um, they were asking you to show what you've done, as Tim alluded to, to already demonstrate that you can think holistically about a child and their family. So there was a clinical case and how you would manage, I think it was a, you're on the ward round and there was a child who's um, in pain um, and the family would like you to assess it, how do you approach that? So it's just thinking about the holistic approach to pain and how you would assess it and what further information you try and get and how would you follow that up. Um, and then they asked about um, what communication things we've had, what examples of different um, challenging communication scenarios, examples of leadership and teaching, the same sort of things that's asked at all of the grid interviews, I'm sure. Um, and then also the challenges of research in children's palliative care. So acknowledging that research in paediatrics is hard enough, but for palliative care cohorts, even harder. To, um, there's, not, uh, uh, there's not very much um, children's palliative care research that happens um, due, due to the ethics of um, trying to have research studies um, in that cohort um, but talking about how we extrapolate evidence from adult um, data and how uh, it actually it's important to acknowledge that maybe uh, some people are put off trying to do research in children with life-limiting conditions but there is stuff that can be done and actually families and children might want to be part of research studies so thinking about what is important to them and what things they might want to be involved in and um, but on the whole I remember it being a friendly panel there was lots of smiling <laughs> and I was made to feel welcome and whilst I was terrified um actually there weren't any burning questions that I remember that were awful um you just had to demonstrate that you're enthusiastic you knew a little bit about it and you wanted to learn more about it and what about you Tim what was your experience well yeah it sounds like I had exactly the same <laughs> stations and very unimaginatively so yeah I um it, it was it was essentially the same stations um but I think the themes, if I think about the themes from the interview, it was it was really about um, them saying, actually, is this, you know, is this a colleague that I, that I could see myself working with? So about being real and genuine and, and having demonstrating a genuine passion for, for the, this patient group and, and, and the work that, that's going on. Um, you know, communication, can this candidate communicate? Um, and again, not advanced communication skills, but but you're talking about interacting, you know, positively with with your colleagues. Do they understand, you know, holistic care? This idea of the, you know, psychosocial, spiritual, and physical elements. And uh, that was certainly an ex a, a question that I had was was ex explaining holism. So that's something that, that's that's a kind of fundamental principle of the specialty, really. Um, and then. Um, really making sure that you understand the general principles of, of children's palliative care and and two really good uh, resources that, for that is the Oxford textbook of children's palliative care the first few chapters really go into detail about that holistic care and 
uh, ethos of, of children's palliative care and also the Together for Short Lives website, which has got lots of resources and pathways. So I think immersing, you know, being immersed in, in, in that sort of reading, with, you know, I, I think is what, what, what they're looking for when you, when you come to interview, that, that you get it, that you understand palliative care. That's brilliant. Thanks, guys. So talking about resources, um, so we've got the APPM, the CSAC, the Oxford Book of Palliative Care Medicine and Together for Short Lives. Is there anything else or any other resources or signposting you would recommend for our listeners to maximise their exposure to palliative care medicine? And those are the main ones. There's also the ICPCN, which is the International Children's Palliative Care Network, um, and they they do some online webinars and things sometimes, which are quite useful. So they've done a few through COVID, talking about how it affects children with palliative care and diagnoses. Um, but yeah, those are the main things um, currently happening. Obviously, there there are various like universities across the country do diplomas and masters in pain management, in ethics, um, in palliative medicine. So if people are interested in doing more formal further education, then those opportunities are also available to you. And as Tim said, there's a lot of transferable stuff from sort of emergency medicine um, and resuscitation through to communication and ethics and the, the, the whole scope of interest that you can develop within palliative care that um, you could already have found an interest in in another allied specialty. That's brilliant. Thanks, guys. And just final question. Now, Tim, you go. You can go first. What is your favourite aspect to you personally about your role as a palliative care doctor? I think... Um... So I think my favourite aspect is um, is is really um, the challenge of of bringing professionals and families together uh, to to achieve the best outcome for a child. Um, you know, thinking particularly about those uh, difficult decisions um, around prognosis and 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 uh, life sustaining treatment. And I think you know having uh, success working with a family and professionals to achieve consensus and 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 achieve the best for the child is just such a satisfying thing and one of the most challenging aspects of the job as well I think that's amazing what about you Lizzie yeah very similar really um so I just I I love my supportive colleagues and like most people who are in palliative care are friendly and supportive and good communicators and everyone looks out for each other so that's really lovely but I think from a patient point of view seeing parents of a, a sick child um go from a point of absolute devastation when they've had a diagnosis of a terminal condition or that the prognosis is really poor and being able to help them have a little bit of control over such a terrible situation that's really out of their control and to be able to facilitate and give them the chance to focus on their priorities and how to make the situation um, reflect them as a family and achieve the things that are important for them. And then if you can do that, which you can usually with enough time and help, um, it's, it's a real joy and satisfaction to see families actually having some moments of comfort. And as I said, laughter or enjoyment in a really hard time and just making some positive memories and having quality time with their children um, and siblings and family around them. It, it, there's nothing nicer, actually, than being able to help people in their worst, most challenging time of their life. And it's a real privilege to be part of that. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us today. And you've probably sold millions of people on palliative care medicine. <laughs> and there'll be no jobs for us all after we've all applied. But um, thank you very much. And I wish you all the best in your the rest of your careers and your future career as a consultant, Tim. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you both take care. And thanks for listening. And you, Hannah. Thank you. Hannah. Bye. And thank you to Hannah Davis for hosting that podcast and to both Lizzie Bendel and Tim Warlow for coming on as guests and helping all of us who are thinking of applying to Palliative Care Grid. Please join us again next week for more career podcasts. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites. Mm-hmm.